Uh, yeah, as, uh, uh, as I said, we're going to take a break from, from uh, First Peter uh, this week, and uh, next week we're going to hear um, from an uh, uh, awesome testimony um, from, from Emmanuel and um, hear from the missionaries. And the week after that, we're going to have a special Mother's Day service as well, and then we'll get back into it. So we're going to take the, a little three-week break from, from First Peter, and uh, uh, this week we're going to talk about generosity. And this is just what we've been talking about in the high school. Uh, this is the sermon series we've been doing on Sundays. So uh, when Steve said, hey, uh, uh, you're going you're gonna to cover the pulpit, um, uh, instead of talking about the next verse in First Peter, which is husbands and wives, he's like, look, don't do that. You're not married yet. Don't put your foot in your mouth yet. Even before you get married, did you talk about something else? I'm like, okay, we'll talk about generosity. So uh, that's what we've been talking about uh, on Sundays, and so that's what, uh, that's what we're going to talk about um, this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them to uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verses 10 through 15. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 through 15. It will also be on the screen, and I'm going to go ahead and, and read that for you here. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but, also, uh, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God. For his inexpressible gift. Hey, let's pray. Heavenly Father, good, gracious, loving Father, we come before you this morning. We ask that you would give us uh, the insight into your word to be able to apply it to our lives, to be able to grow more deeply in you, to be able to live more fully in you and give glory to you. May we uh, understand your... Um, inexpressible gift to to us. May we uh, be able to apply what we're talking about this morning to our lives. Would you give me um, the words to say? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you, what, what do you think the perception of Christians is from people outside of the church? I mean, there has been a lot of talk about this lately, about what Christians believe, what they stand for, what they don't believe, and how they treat others, and what, what do you think, what, what do you think people's perception is of, of believers inside the church? Is it good? Is it negative? Is it bad? Is it neutral? Uh, I, I, I looked this up, and um, I found a, a study done by Barna, um, which is a, a Christian research group, and they, and they kind of... Uh, when uh, they they asked uh, people outside the church, what, what is your perception of believers in the church? What is your perception of of Christians? And would you be surprised if if uh, the most frequent words that came up in this study were words like judgmental and hypocritical or old fashioned? The the uh, highest rate of, of negative responses came from young non-believers, which is 
it's sad because that's, 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 that's my friends. Those are, that's my peer group, right? These are, these are, this is my age group that, that, that are having these negative impressions of Christians. Man, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want that in my life. I don't want people looking at my life and thinking, oh, judgmental, hypocritical, <laughs> old-fashioned. Maybe old-fashioned in the right things, right? But I don't want negative uh, perceptions of believers. What would you say, though? In your own life, if you had to take a step back and look at your life, if you had to look at the lives of believers around you, what words would you come up with? Would you come up with words like, sacrificial words like generous or caring i mean i i really want these words to describe my life at the end and i want these words to describe northview and 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 church let me tell you i think we are uh doing a fantastic job at this we are a very generous sacrificial and giving church but i want to talk about this this morning and some of you guys uh, might think, oh boy, um, we're, gonna, we're talking about generosity. Don't worry, um, I'm not going to talk about giving money for the next 40 minutes. It's going to be a lot longer than that, all right? <laughs> no, I, I, I want to I take a step back. I, I want to talk about not just giving money, which might be the very first thing that comes to our mind when we talk about generosity, when we think about generosity, but I want to take a step back and look at the principles of generosity, how we can live generously in all areas of our lives, how we can live generously, not just with the money we give, but how we can live generously with every area of our life and what it looks like to live generously, what happens in our hearts and souls when we live generously. I told this to the youth that, that if we can understand if this, this principle of generosity, if we can understand how to live generously, and if we are a people, a Christians who live generously, our spiritual lives will be so much more enriched down the road. That we will, we will be freed from so many of the things that, that life puts on us, so many constraints, that if we understand what generous living looks like through Scripture, we'll be freed from so many entanglements. I think this is a big issue for Christians. And if we, if we can live generously, it changes everything. So I'm going to give you guys three principles of generosity. Three principles of generosity. And, and generosity principle number one, if you're a note taker, you can write this down in your notes. Generosity principle number one is this. Grace activates generosity. Grace activates generosity. And, and it says right here, right at the, first, the very first uh, verse that we just read. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Did you see, hear those words in there? He supplies, he supplies. This is the entire basis of the gospel, is it not? For God so loved the world that he... Oh man, you guys gotta wake up. For God so loved the world that he... Gave, right? He gave. This is the very basis of the gospel. That we didn't deserve, in fact, we were ill-deserving of anything from God, and yet he gives. You look all throughout scripture, and this is what occurs. What does God do? The very first thing, Genesis 1. He gives his creation. 
He gives good creation. And if you ever, ever looked at that, man, it is a good creation. There's fruit on trees. There's rivers with gold in them is what Genesis says. And it's good. It's a good creation. And he gives it to us to enjoy. He gives it to us to glorify him, worship him, and enjoy. And, and what happens? Our grandfather and grandmother, Adam and Eve, they, they take the fruit and they disobey God. So what does God do? He gives the law. So, that, so he says, this, I'm going to give you these commandments and this is the law. And then if you obey these, then you will glorify me. And somehow, though he gives the law, we somehow find a way to crawl underneath the very basic commandments that he gives. Do not murder. All right, we can find a way to break that. Do not lie. Sure, we can find a lay, way to break that. And yet God continues to give. In the Old Testament, he gives his kings and his judges. So he says, okay, I'm going to give you these people and these prophets to help you live life to glorify and honor me. I'm going to give. And, and we continue, or Israel continues to turn its back on God and to live in rebellion to God. So what does God do? He gives his son. And as he's on earth, we mock and ridicule and we put him up and we murder the Son of God and God doesn't stop there. He gives us salvation through the death of his Son. And then he gives us his Spirit. He gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can open up his Word, right, and, and understand what's in here. And yet we continue to live, and turn, uh, live sinfully and turn our back to God and, and yet he continues to give us righteousness through his Son. And he gives us the church, that we might have community and he gives us fellowship with one another and, and things like family meals so that we can enjoy spending time with one another and, and he gives us so much. This is 101 for God. God gives. And do we deserve any of it? The answer is no. We don't deserve anything from God, and yet he continues to give. I'm just going to give. I'm just going to bless you. I'm just going to keep giving to you. I love you so much, even though you continue to turn your back on me, even though you continue to live for, live for yourself and live selfishly. I'm just going to give, and I'm going to give, and I want you to be drawn, drawn near to me. I'm just going to give. It's the basis of God. Do we deserve any of God's blessing? The answer is no, but he continues to give. This is grace activated generosity. When we realize, man, ah, God just keeps pouring out grace into my life. He keeps pouring out unmerited favor in my life. Our generosity should be activated by one thing, and that's grace. Maybe when we think about generosity, maybe we don't always focus on the grace component of it. We think, okay, I'm just going to give out of compulsion. I'm going to give out of my own need. Friends, we need to be generous because God was first generous with us. How do you approach God? Do you approach it with this gospel lens, this lens that, yeah, God's given me everything? Or do you approach it with this, God, life is hard, and I'm putting in my time, I'm saying no to some things that I really want. 
I'm coming to church on Sunday. I dragged my family to church. I, I make sure they're getting into I groups on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Awana on Wednesdays. And I'm coming and I got my husband here. Maybe you're a husband. You're like, okay, I'm coming here. And it's not football season, but I missed football last night. God, you owe me. Because all these sacrifices I've made in my life, you owe me because see, see all these good things I've done. See these great, this, this list I can bring before you, you owe me. Or are you the gospel-centered Christian that says, God, you don't owe me anything, but you've given me everything. So everything I have is yours. That's grace-activated generosity. Isn't that not good? That's good. Spurgeon, uh, one of my heroes of the faith, he was a preacher and uh, long ago, and he's dead, and I call him my friend. He might not know he's my friend, but he's my friend. He, he has this illustration. He's this, uh, <clears throat> uh, he has this illustration, and he says, if you're sick and you, and you go to the doctor, and uh, the doctor finds out what's wrong with you, okay, yeah, yeah you're sick. It's actually, you're, you're really sick, and this sickness is going to claim your life. But... There's, there's, there's some good news in this because there is a cure. There's a medicine that will cure you of your ailment. But the doctor says it's going to be expensive. And, and it's, going to be, uh, it's actually going to cost you your house. It's actually going to cost you your boat. It's going to cost you your vacation home, and it's going to cost you your condo, and it's going to cost you your nice car, and it's going to cost you a lot. What would you say? You'd say, well, well, certainly I'll get rid of my house because what good is my house if I don't have this medicine? Yeah, I'll get rid of my vacation home. What good is that if I don't have this medicine? What, what, what good is this, all these things I have in my life if I don't have this medicine? If I can't live to enjoy them, it's, they're not worth anything anymore. And that's what the gospel does for us. It, it, it makes this gift that God has given us so precious that everything else becomes, uh, it, it pales in comparison that everything else is, is not worth anything anymore in comparison to this gift that God has given us. Everything becomes expendable in light of the sacrifice that Jesus has made. And when, things, when that happens in our life, when we begin to see the uh, inexpressible gift of God towards us, we begin to uh, release our grip on the things that we think we own. We began to be more generous with them and begin to be freed up to offer them away. See, grace-activated generosity is never coerced. Grace-activated generosity is never coerced. We never give out of, out of coercion, but we give because of what God gave to us. Grace-activated generosity is, is joyful, not given with sadness, Grace-activated generosity is done without needing to be seen. You don't need, you don't need anyone to, to, to see you or recognition for your giving. Grace-activated generosity is done willingly, not with hesitation. Grace-activated generosity is loving and compassionate, not done with manipulation. I'll give you this if you give me that. Because that's not how God gives. So, I ask, what is your motivation in being generous? What is your motivation in being generous? Do you have grace-activated generosity? The next principle of generosity is that it will lead right into generosity principle number two is this, that 
that grateful people give. Grateful people give. When, when our generosity is activated by God's grace towards us, we begin to become grateful for the things that he's given us in our lives. And, and friends, grateful people give. It's, a, um, it's right here, in, or in a, you don't have to turn there, but in, in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 4, verse 7, Paul really is building a case in this letter to the Corinthians, and he's building this case, and he's convincing them uh, to be generous with everything in their lives. First, or 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, uh, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Essentially, Paul is saying this, everything you have in your life, every good thing in your life comes from God. It belongs to God. So what is that? That's saying, all right, let's look at our lives. My kids are God's. My job is God's. My home is God's. My friends, God's given me because he loves me. Everything is from God and belongs to God. So when we begin to see, oh man, everything is from God, I want to be grateful and and I'm willing to give that away because that's exactly how God treated me. This passage that we read, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 15, it's interesting because the Corinthian church, uh, I'll give you a little history lesson here, was really uh, well off. You know, they they were like... They were in like the mecca of this world, and, and they, uh, they had a lot of money and pretty much anything at their disposal. So they were well off, and, uh, and they had made a promise to Paul, and they said, okay, we want to give to the supply of the saints. We want to give to these churches, essentially, that are less fortunate than ourselves. So we want to give a sum of money, and, and Paul, we're going to trust it to you to spread it out throughout, uh, throughout the churches. And he comes and, and he hears that, that uh, you guys are reneging on your promise. You promised you would give and you're withholding your gift. And maybe they were thinking, oh, okay, maybe if we, I know we promised this, but maybe if we don't bring it up, maybe Paul won't bring it up and he'll just forget about it and we can just move on with our lives. But Paul brings it up. <laughs> and he says, remember this promise? Remember when you said you were going to give to the supply of the saints? And there are churches counting on you. And he gives this, he gives this explanation in verses 10 through 15. And he gives this explanation of why it's good to give and why it's good to be generous. And one of the things he says is remember, remember everything you have is from God in the first place. Let's look at our lives. Everything we have is from God. So we can be generous with what we have because it's all his to begin with. And I love how he ends in verse 15. He says, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. It's almost like this is what will happen when we give. When you're generous, you're just going to want to thank God even more. Thank you, God, for what you've given me. I want to be generous with what you've given me. How many of you guys have uh, kids? A lot of parents in here, okay? You guys can relate to this. Uh, maybe you can re- relate to this illustration. So I, I work with the junior high and, and senior high, and sometimes I look at their lives and I'm like, man, I kind of envy your life. I kind of look at it and I'm like, man, it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Like, 
Mom wakes you up in the morning, and you go to school. Uh, you know what class you're going to first. You know what class you're going to second. And you know, all right, you go to lunch. You can hang out with these students. And, it's, and you come home from school, and you know exactly what homework's supposed to do. And maybe if, if it's like an average kid in Mill Creek, you got to go to like 18 different sports practices. And then uh, and you can like maybe play some video games at night, and then you go to bed, and it's, you do it all over again the next day, right? Like you look at that life and like, man, that's actually, man, everything's planned out for you. It's, you got no stresses besides like schoolwork and stuff. And but it's like, man, man, everything's pretty, pretty easy. And then, and summertime comes around and it's like, hey, we get to go on vacation and we get a, we're going to give you a new, a new Xbox for Christmas and we're going to get you some games. And, and sometimes if you can put yourself in the mind of a junior hire, or if you have a a child, put yourself in the mind of a child, but sometimes, and maybe parents can relate to this, they're not always grateful for what you give them. <laughs> and, you know, we don't always grow in gratefulness until, you know, you go to high school and some of you guys make your kids get jobs and pay for car insurance and cell phone bills. You're like, man, that was really nice when my mom paid for my cell phone bill. And uh, and you go to and you go to college and you got to, you got to, uh, get a job to help cover the bills in college, and you get out and you hit the real world. Like, man, 25, and all of a sudden I'm realizing, dang, my mom and dad did a lot for me. I'm super grateful for them. When we grow up, we should grow in gratefulness, right? It's the same with our spiritual lives. When we grow in our faith in Christ, we should grow in gratefulness for what Jesus has done for us. That as we grow up spiritually, we grow in gratefulness to God. So let me ask you, is your gratefulness growing in God? Is your gratefulness for what Jesus has done for you growing? And if you're grateful, are you being generous with what God has given you? The third principle of generosity is this, that growing people give. I'm sorry, giving people grow. Flip that. (laughs) So many G's. Giving people grow. (laughs) In verse 11, Paul says this. He says, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving. That as you are generous, it will produce thanksgiving. That there will be a change in you when you are generous. That as you look at everything you have to be thankful for and you start being generous with what God has given you, it will produce in you thanksgiving. It will produce in you change. You know what that means? That the more we grow in, in, our, in our lives, the more we are grateful. The more we are grateful, the more we give. The more we give, the more we are grateful. And then the more we are grateful, the more we give. It's a revolving door. And, and, and Paul is encouraging us, step into this. This is good. This is a good place to be. This is a good place to live. You grow in your faith and, you, and you're generous. And as you're generous, God is faithful to see your generosity. Nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture, and I studied this and I looked everywhere and I tried to find it and I couldn't. Nowhere in Scripture does God ever wink at selfishness and greed. He never, he never says this is a good thing to be greedy. But over and over again, 
God says, if you're generous, I will see it. And I am faithful to respond to your generosity. I am faithful to respond to your generosity. How do giving people grow? Giving people grow spiritually because living generously is how we were designed to live. If we were made in the image of God and God is generous, we were designed to live generously. And man, can I just say that it it takes a, a big amount of trust when you take something that you love and you're generous with it, you share it with others. And you're saying, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you with, with this. And I'm going to trust that you're either going to take care of me and I'm, I'm sacrificing something. And When we get to that place of trusting God, you know what that's called? That's called just growing as a disciple. That's just called being a Christian. And, and as, we, uh, begin to, as we trust God more and more, we begin to grow. Giving people grow the church. Giving people grow the church. I'm marching my way through Acts right now in my devotions, and uh, and if you're like me, um, you're like, man, reading through the Bible in a year is a big task. But I'm like, all right, I'll just like trudge my way through and kind of do like chapter by chapter. Let's okay, let's let's do this. Let's start here. Let's start studying this stuff. And and so I'm, I'm marching my way through Acts, and I notice something. Acts is full of generosity. It is full of generosity, and, and constantly we see, uh, we see the uh, early church booming in spite of persecution and in spite of difficulties, but we see the early church being generous. Not just generous with money, but generous with time, generous with their households, generous with uh, their jobs, and generous with sending people places, and the church grew. Generous people grow the church. Uh, there is a, uh, a letter that did not make it into Scripture. It did not make it into, uh, uh, into the canon of Scripture. And it, it, it's, uh, I, I might butcher the name, but it is, it's, it's this. It was the Epistle to Diognetus. And you can go Google that if you want, if you're, if you're like me and you want to read up on this stuff. But it is this, it's, an, it's a letter uh, to this guy named Diognetus, and he asked this question, why is Christianity real? What's, what's, what's up with this Christianity thing? Uh, why is it growing? Why should I buy into it? So a fel- uh, another believer, uh, a, a Christian, wrote this letter explaining what was up with Christianity, explaining uh, why it was real. And, and I'm not, I won't read, read it all. It's a, it's a big, lengthy letter, but there's, there's one line in there in particular that, that stood out to me. And he, he says this. It says, Christians are poor, but no one is in need. They're rich, but everyone is welcome at the table. Isn't that such a good explanation of, of the way we should be living? If we're poor, we shouldn't be in need because of the church. If, if we're rich, it doesn't matter. Everyone's welcome at the table. He says this, he, he gives this as an explanation of why the early church was growing. They're generous. That's essentially what he's saying. They're generous. So I want to give you just real practical ways that we can be generous. And, and I, I want to take a step back and not just, not just think of generosity in terms of 
money, but how can we be generous? What are some practical ways that we can be generous with our lives? The, the, the first one is most difficult maybe for me, anyways. We can be generous with our time. We can be generous with our time. See, we all make different amounts of money, right? We all drive different cars. We all go to different jobs. And, uh, and we all have the same amount of time. You know, your portfolio might be way more impressive than the next guy's, but we all have the same amount of time. Paychecks might be different, but time is always the same. God, it's like God gave us this equal playing field. Everyone has the same amount of time to give. But giving time, if we're honest, is kind of tough, right? It's kind of, it's kind of hard. I know it's hard for me. I'm not uh, the easiest at giving up my time, I, you know? I don't even I don't even have a family and kids, but like when I come home from work, I'm like I just want to turn on Sports Center and just like zone out for a while. I don't want to talk to anybody, and I can <laughs> I don't know if you can relate to that. Um, I'm also man, I'm not very good at like planning out my work. You know, I, I have a deadline, and and I kind of like maybe convince myself I work better under pressure, so I save all my work until like <laughs> you know what I mean. But you know what that does? It, 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 my procrastination hinders me from allowing interruptions. And that is one of the biggest ways we can be generous with our time, is to allow interruptions. Allow for that conversation that needs to happen. Allow for that uh, game of catch that needs to happen with your son. Allow for um, this uh, attending their, their sporting event that, that, that you know is on the calendar. Being generous with your time. But the biggest killer of that is when we uh, procrastinate and put things off, at least for me. It's like, okay, I can't allow any interruptions because if you interrupt me right now, I'm not going to get this done. And I don't work well under pressure. I don't know why I keep doing that. Maybe, maybe a simple step is just opening up your schedule. Do you need to open up your schedule a little bit so you can be more generous with the time that God's given you? Maybe, maybe God's asking you to be generous with your time. Maybe he's asking you to serve a little bit more on, on fit team or in the children's area or maybe on Awana or maybe in the junior high room upstairs. <laughs> Is God asking you to be more generous with your time? What does that look like for you? Maybe God's asking you to be generous with your talent. Now, God has gifted us in so many different ways. He's gifted us, gifted us with skills. There are things that you can do that I can't do, right? Some of you are like, I would never want to be a public speaker. And likewise, I would never want to play an instrument. I am so glad. Well, I want to play an instrument. I just can't. I'm so glad that we have a worship team that is generous with their talent, right? We got people up here that dedicate three services a Sunday and they're generous with their talent. I mean, if they didn't, if they didn't perform, or not perform, they didn't, if they didn't come up and sing, well, we would still have worship. It would just be me singing, and it would sound like a cow giving birth or something. It would not be good, right? But I'm glad that we have people in our church that are generous with their talent. Do you have a talent that you can be generous with? Is God asking you to be generous with something in your life? Are there things around here that you're like, yeah, I can, 
I can help that. I can fix that. I could add to that. Are there things in life that maybe in the community that says, yeah, I have a talent that would be good here, that would fit? Is God asking you to be generous with your talent? And last, you can be generous with your treasure. You can be generous with your treasure. Is God asking you to take the next step in being generous with your treasure? I find it interesting that if you read the Gospels, if you read uh, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you read the words of Jesus, Jesus actually talks about money a lot. He almost talks about money more than anything else in Scripture. And I think this is why. I, I think Jesus knew that the last part of a person to be saved was their wallet. So he, he talks about it a lot. Do you need to be more generous with your treasure? And also, it's interesting in the New Testament that the word tithe, which means tenth, which is such a kind of an old-fashioned word, right? Let's, let's pick up our tithes and offerings. And This word tithe is actually only used in the New Testament a, a couple times. And Jesus doesn't talk about giving in terms of a 10%. I mean, that's a good basis to start. But you know how Jesus talks about giving? Jesus, Jesus is sitting in the, in the synagogue and, and he's, he's watching people give money. And can we just say thank you that we like pass a bucket and we don't like make someone stand up here and like we're going to watch everybody come and drop money in. That would be, that's awkward, right? So, but that's how they did it. So Jesus is, is sitting here and he's watching people drop in their money into the offering bucket. And, and, uh, and first off, stressful, Right? Jesus, Savior of the world, is watching, you, watching how much you give. And, and he sees this widow come up and put in everything she has. And it's nothing, right? It's a couple pennies. And, and it's not going to add much to the value of the synagogue or anything. But what does Jesus say? Do you remember this? What does Jesus say to his disciples? He turns and says, this woman has given more than anybody. You know what that means? Generosity in terms of money is not, is not tied to the amount. So if someone has $10 and they drop in 8, and someone has $10,000 and they drop in 100, that person that dropped in 8 was far more generous than the person who dropped in 100. Because generosity, according to Jesus, is about sacrifice. And how Paul explains it in, in, in the New Testament, when it, when it comes up in terms of giving, he doesn't say 10%. In 1 Corinthians 16.2, he says, give in proportion to what you have. So my question for you this morning is, are you giving in proportion to what you have? You know, 10% might be a good place to start, but God might be asking you to do a little bit more. Maybe 5% is where God's asking you to start. Maybe he's like, dude, just give, man. Are you giving in proportion to what you have? And are you giving generously and sacrificially? I hope that we can apply these principles of generosity to our lives and we can live generously, not just in terms of money, but in terms of everything we do, how we live, how we talk, how we spend our time, how we spend our talent, and how we spend our treasure. Let's pray. Father God, we, we ask for your blessing on us. 
You are a good God, and may we first and foremost focus on your inexpressible gift. That is your Son saving our lives. God, would we give and would we live generously in response to what you have done first? May we have grace-activated generosity. That we would look at your goodness towards us and want to live a changed and generous life. May our generosity affect our communities and affect our churches and affect our families. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.